Am I going to dance? You really don't want to see that, honestly. Um, as always, I always like to ask a question before I start any sermon. And so the question for you this morning, not that you need to answer, but just think about, is at the end of this life, what do you want to be famous for? What do you want to be known for? And maybe not just even yourselves, but if you think about the church, you know, what do we want the church to be famous for in this time? Just have a think about that. You know, we're going to be studying the, over the next few weeks the book of 1 John. Now, I don't know if you've read 1 John or even just listening to it today, you feel the weight of 1 John, but also the pleasure of 1 John as well. You know, for those who are in Christ, the pleasures of 1 John. But we're going to work through that in the next few weeks. There's going to be a number of us who will be covering um, each, of, each of the weeks. And I'm going to be looking specifically at the text today. But we're going to be thinking about what does this mean to us as believers? Because John is obsessed with love. You know, there are, there are three, three parts of uh, the letters of John 1, 2, and 3. And there's been debate over the years about the authorship of these letters. Because you know, 1 John is actually anonymous. Uh, two, uh, the second and third letters of John are actually attributed to the elder, that's the author. But they're so consistent with each other, these three letters, and they're consistent with the Gospel of John, that it's thought that these letters were penned and sent by John himself. And because they are identical, they're identical in language, and they're identical in style. But what's, what's interesting is, is the purposes of the book. You know, what, why did John write this letter at all? You know, all the key ideas, do you know what? There's nothing particularly new that's written in 1 John. That most of the stuff that you read in 1 John is actually in John's gospel as well. If you, if you read through chapters 13 to 17, you'll see these key ideas as John is um, addressing the church. But he is addressing specific things as he writes to the church. And so John is writing to a church in conflict. There are a group that have been in the church and are now out of the church that are denying Jesus as the Messiah. That's saying that Jesus isn't God. And John obviously is keen to actually say to the, to the church, come on, you know, keep hold of the truth. Keep hold of what is true to you as God's people. And so there's hostility in the church, there's strife in the church, and John speaks directly into this situation. And the way he does that, it's not a linear approach, but what he does is he cycles through three main concepts. Life, love, and truth. So going back to the question I asked you at the beginning is, what do you want to be famous for? What God wants you to be famous for is your love. This is what will mark us as believers is at the end of this life, can you look back on the way you lived out your life, the way you conducted your relationships and said it was because of love. Love for God, but also love for one another. We're going to expand on that as we go through these three keen um, elements of the book, life, love, and truth. You might want to turn your Bibles to, to 1 John as we go through. John starts 1 John talking very much about his encounter with Jesus. You know, for him, he had such a dramatic encounter with Jesus that it transformed who he was. It transformed how he saw life. It transformed how he saw God and how he saw other people. That he knew that eternal life was found in Jesus. And he's desperate. He's desperate for others to come into that knowledge, to share with him and with others that life. He uses this term fellowship, which we're going to unpack later. But you see in, in verse 3, it says... 
We proclaim to you what has been seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You know, for John, this book very much captures the gospel. But has the gospel captured you? This is, this is the heart of our Christianity, isn't it? That the gospel is a message that captures us, that transforms us, that speaks into us, that renews us and strengthens us and makes us more like Christ. And, and John, in writing this letter, is wanting to draw people not just into fellowship with him, but also with God himself. As he uses a phrase, as we'll see later on, that, about life and living in the light. You know, the gospel is not just a means of salvation. It's not just a means of getting into heaven. I don't know if you've thought about that. You know, is the gospel for you just a turning point? Is it just finding yourself in Christ that you might go to heaven? You know, for, for when you read um, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he says, I want to remind you of the gospel. I want to remind you, he's writing to Christians, because the gospel is not just a turning point to Christ. It's the thing that keeps you in him. It's the thing that keeps you walking in the ways of Christ. This is the thing that should be transforming you on a daily basis. What is the gospel? It's the grace of God that is sufficient to bring us back to God as we repent and, and give our lives to him. So this, he talks a lot in 1 John about the light of God. And we're going to unpack that. What does it mean to be in the light of God? For you here this morning, what does it mean for you to walk in the light? Because this is a keen concept that, that uh, John is wanting to get across. It's not just a, an intellectual thing, it's an experiential thing. If you walk in something, it's, how do you walk in something? You live it out, don't you? It's something that we practice. You know, for Paul, he uses a similar term for walking in the light. He would say walking in the light is, is remaining in Christ. But for Paul, that was his way of capturing what it means to walk in the light, it's to remain in him, to be like him, to model your life on him. And so to your life, to, for you today, your lives, are you seeing the gospel shape your relationships? Is the gospel shaping you as you understand God's love towards you? Is that transforming how you connect with others? How you're shaping and your decisions around how you live out this light? You know, so for John, being in the light connects you to one another in his grace um, but also it connects us to God. Now, the term he uses is fellowship. We want to draw you into fellowship with us, with the believers, with the apostles. And this term he uses is fellowship, which is kanonia. In the Greek, it's kanonia. And, and the term kanonia means to participate in, to be part of. And so our, our faith is not an individual response to God, is it? It's a collective response as well. It's not just individual that when you get saved, when you give your life to Christ, you actually come to be part of a body who commit themselves to God collectively. He says, we are here that you might demonstrate your grace amongst us too, not just in me alone. So this participation, you know, are we participating today in the grace of God? Are we walking in his light? Are we stepping aside and saying, God, everything for you? This, that last song was amazing, Gene. You know, just, just really captures... That, that heart of God, this is all about you. This, this life is about you, and I want this life to be shaped by you. But if we're going to be connected to one another, who is your one another? Who are you in fellowship with? 
we're in fellowship with one another today, aren't we? As, we? as we collectively come together to worship God, to seek him, to hear from him, to give glory to him through song, through preaching of the word, through ministry. Our time together is one another, but who else are you one anothering with? Do you meet with people one-to-one to pray, to walk out your faith with? With your, your husband or your wife, are you walking with them? Are you experiencing the grace of God with your partners? With your children. You know, sharing grace with your children is not always the easiest thing. If any of you are parents, you'll know what I mean. It's a challenge, isn't it? To actually express love to people when things are tough. But this is the grace of God working in the church when things are tough. But not just in the church. In all our relationships where we are connected with people in Christ. Which, which John calls fellowship and walking in the light. But for me, and one of the things that I've, over the last 30 years, been a Christian, we can talk about the grace of God, but to believe in the grace of God is another thing. We can talk about the grace of God, but to believe in the grace of God is another thing. Because do you believe that God's grace, his sufficiency, his presence in your life is enough to transform you and also to transform those who you meet with, those who you live with? those who you're bringing up in the faith? Do you believe that God's grace is enough to transform those relationships? Because when you do, that's when God can move, because that's called faith, isn't it? When we truly turn to God, going, God, I believe that your ways are enough. I believe that if I hold on to you, that you keep me not only in fellowship with you, but with one another, you know, with with my wife, with my husband, or with my children, whoever it is that you're meeting with in a missional community, in a small group, Your grace is enough to carry me through anything. That's fellowship. Because fellowship is where you stand together in the light and say, God, we declare you to be enough for us. This has to shape me first. You know, sometimes we want people to change, don't we? Have you got any relationships in your life where you just go, things would be better if they changed? If they would just do, if my children would just behave, I would be a model father. I would, honestly. You know? If people in my life group would just stop being so annoying, or in my home group or in my mission community, if they would just stop being so annoying and demanding, I would have much more grace. I would. But it's not like that in the faith, is it? Jesus laid down his life that people might experience love. That the grace of God moves when you are moved first. So living in the light is not about others changing first. It's about you encountering grace, that grace changing you from the inside out, and that that grace thing being poured out to those who are deemed by the world as unlovable, or those who are just hard work in our lives. Does anybody know someone that's just hard work? Yeah? But God is sufficient, and he is able to give you the grace. He's able to shape you and mold you and change you, that we might love one another genuinely as Christ has loved the church. But this happens in love, but also in truth. So let's think about that as John expands on that. In the midst of this particular community in 1 John, there is heresy, but there's also hostility. And John says that the way I'm going to work out which is which, who is the true believer in the church? He says the thing that's going to characterize that is whether you are walking in love and whether you're walking in truth. 
They're the two things that he says will mark you as a believer. And he starts by saying, those who profess to have relationship with Jesus do not walk in darkness. Do not walk in darkness. So what does it mean to walk in the darkness? You know, as I'm stood here today, or as you're sat there, do you think, am I walking in darkness? How do you know if you're walking in the darkness? And so he expands this. You know, the, the, he talks about this realm of light, that Christ is the light of the world, isn't he? We know that Christ is the light of the world, and we choose to remain in him. And the, this realm of light is God's kingdom, isn't it? This realm of God's light is God's kingdom. The rule and reign of Christ over your life that you might be conformed to the ways of God. You know, this is what you were brought into when you were saved. So to walk in darkness is then to live in a way that is contrary to what God says is right and true. Not just the odd mistake, but to walk in, to choose a lifestyle that is outside of Christ. You know, and I hope for all of us today that are Christians that profess Christ as our Lord and Saviour, we're not doing that. We're not walking in the darkness. We might find ourselves doing things that are contrary, which we'll talk about in a minute. And what does, what does the Bible have to say about that? What does John have to say about that? Um, but that's particularly choosing a way of life that says, Jesus, no, I'm, I'm going to live like this, regardless of what you say, regardless of what your word might say. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus himself says in his teachings that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That, so truth, living in the light, is becoming like Jesus. You know, Matthew 28 says, doesn't it, go and make disciples. Well, what is a disciple? A disciple is somebody who follows Jesus. Somebody who apprentices themselves to Jesus, who gives themselves wholly and says, Jesus, whatever you say is right in my life, that's, why I want, that's where I want to remain. This is how we stay in fellowship um, with him. And then he says in John 14, um, John 14, 21, he says, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Now, I don't know about you, but that challenges me. If I'm going to say in my walk with Jesus, I love you, Jesus, I love you, God, I love you, his response will be, well, are you obeying me? Are you obeying me? You know, when I say something in my word, are you quick to respond? Are you quick to say, Lord, you know, whatever you say, I'll do. However you say, even if it's contrary to the ways of the world, I'm going to do it because you are supreme in my life. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. So, is a true Christian somebody who never sins? Anybody sinned in the room? A couple of people? Yep. Wow, I want to be with the ones that haven't. <laughs> You know, of course we sin. Of course we sin. And, and John, John recognised this. Although he's saying, you know, in that text we read this morning, you know, you can't, you can't call yourself Christian and continue sinning. You can't. But what that means is walking in the darkness, choosing a lifestyle that is outside of Christ in areas of your life. Because what he actually then goes on to say is, of course we mess up from time to time. He says in 8 to 10, he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. So there is sin in our lives. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, so that means we do have sins in our lives, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a lie and his word is not in us. And so 
Even John who's saying, come on, you, you, can't, you can't say you're in Christ and carry on this old lifestyle of sin. You can't. But when you're in him, you are going to find times when you just do stuff that displeases the Lord. But the good news is grace. The good news is forgiveness. That the forgiveness that saved you and brought you into the kingdom of God is the same forgiveness and grace that sustains you. It's the same grace that allows you to go to your Father in heaven and say, oh, again, I've messed up. Again, I've chosen second best. Again, I've not chosen to trust in your ways. And I'm going to come back to you and say, Lord, purify me from all unrighteousness that I might be like Jesus. That's the joy of our salvation, isn't it? That we remain in him and we know his grace continually as we walk with him. In these final verses of John, he says that the thing that frames us, especially as we do this together, especially as we walk with one another, trying to stay in the light, stay in Christ, as we support each other, encourage one another, is love. You know, John says in, in chapter 2, 3, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. And then he goes on to say these commands are not a, a new command. He actually says they're an old command. And what he's doing here is he's alluding to the great commandment. So when he's saying, I'm not coming to give you a new command per se, it's actually an old command. It's the great commandment that he's drawing them to remember. Because the disciples would have walked with Jesus through that teaching of what it meant to love. You know, in Mark 12, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he says the second commandment is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater command than these. So what we can't do, and, and John is really strong on this, is you can't separate your love for God and your love for one another. Later on you'll see that you can't say, I hate my brother, and say you love God. You just can't. Because the, the truth of the Lord working in you causes you to have a love for people that is beyond yourself. And where does that come from? From knowing his love for you. So love in community flows out of love for God. But what I'd like to do is just, in this last section, is just go through some of those. How do you love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength? How do you do that? I'm going to choose three of these. I'm going to start with mind. You know, you all have an amazing mind. God has given you a mind to think, to understand God, to understand life, to understand where you fit in this life. But around you, there are many competing truths, aren't there? There are many things that would say are true to you about how we should live, how we should view certain things in life. But where do we go to for the truth? Who is the truth? Jesus. And how do we get to know Jesus? By reading his word. And there are many things I think that are challenges to us now as, as Christians in a secular society that come towards us every single day. And we have to take a stand, don't we? We have to say, Lord, I want my mind, I want to see like you see. I want to think like you think. I want my mind to be renewed. I want to be transformed by this mind that you've given me to be renewed and strengthened by how you see how life works. You know, and I think for us today, there'll be two groups of people, I think, here today, as you're sat here, well, that need to hear two things. I think, one, for some people, you need to know in your own mind how God sees you. How does God see you this morning? 
And that's a challenge for you. And God would want to reassure you that he loves you. That he's poured out his grace and his love towards you. That you're his child. All those things that the Bible would say. I think the Lord would say to somebody or some people today that hear that. Let your mind be developed and strengthened in how he sees you today. Because we have an enemy, don't we? We have an enemy against us who is a deceiver who would come towards us and say, you are not enough. You are not enough. You can't do enough. You can't be enough. And God's grace says, you aren't enough, but I am. Receive me and I will make you all that you need to be. I will give you the life and life in all its fullness. I will show you who you were meant to be in me. So remain in me and hear me. And I think the second group of people, and I think this is a challenge for all of us at different times, is now let me help you see how I see other people. Let me help you see how I see other people. Because God is wanting a church with a heart for others, not just for one another in church, not just for those who confess Christ alongside us, but for those outside the church as well. That God is wanting to stir a heart in us that loves genuinely. But how do we know? How do we know? And how do we develop a life that is centered in the truth? I don't know if you know that people who, you know certain people have jobs to identify what a counterfeit uh, dollar note is. And they probably do that with banknotes in England as well. But it's a story I heard a while ago, and I thought, this is brilliant. That you would have thought that people who can spot whether there was a counterfeit dollar note, what do you think they would do? Do you think they would study counterfeit notes, or do you think they would study the real thing? Now, my natural default before I heard this is I thought they would study counterfeit notes. That's what I thought. I thought, well, wouldn't it be obvious that they would look at counterfeit notes and see what was wrong and just spend all their time focused around what was wrong with something? But actually, the truth is, as some of you know, that the truth is that actually what they did is studied the real thing. They studied the real thing. That they were so clear on truth, on what was right, and what was plainly obvious in front of them, that when they spotted something that was counterfeit, that it was very obvious what it was. Now, as Christians, sometimes we can give more attention to the work of the enemy in our lives than we do to the work of God in our lives. And God is saying, don't spend your time there because sin leads to death. Why would you spend time there? Give thought to who I am. Just just take yourself to the word. Read the word. Love the word. Because that's where you find life. This is where you find truth. This is where you find God and his thoughts on life and how life should be. Romans 12 again says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's think like Jesus thinks about our situations. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, it's God's word that will keep us walking in the light. You know, sometimes we say to ourselves, I wonder what God thinks about this. And God has already spoken. You know, God has spoken through his word. And God's word is enough for life. It's enough to support us in this life. The second one is heart. What do you think about your heart today? What what do you think your heart is? Not just the thing that beats within you, not just the thing that physically keeps you alive, but the thing that spiritually keeps you alive is your heart, the thing that God has put at the core of who you are. We can say that this is the seat of your desires, your affections, and your emotions. And what are your desires in life? 
I have to question myself on this all the time. What are my affections in life? What do I give my time, my energy, and my money to? Because that's where you'll find your affections. And I want to be a man that has affection for the Lord. I want to be a man that has affection for Jesus and his ways, that they might conform me to his image, but also transform the community that I live in because of what he's doing in me. You know, God is wanting us to have a heart that desires to please him. But I know there's areas of my heart. Does anybody have areas of their heart? You just go, oh, don't look, don't look. I don't want people to see this part of my heart. You know, we all do, don't we, if we're being honest. And, but I, I know that I have a God that is for me, not against me. I have, a Jesus, I have a Jesus who is committed to my sanctification, to my transformation, to me becoming like him. And so when I hit those areas of my life, I don't stay there. I run to him. And, but let's be quick with that. Let's be quick in our running to Jesus. When we sin, when we fall, when we see areas in our lives, let us run to Jesus and say, teach me how to be like you by the Spirit. Because the Spirit is working in each one of us today, making us more like Jesus. Let us let him do that as we give our hearts to him, that we might have affections for him. As a community, our natural overflow for one another will be primarily our love for God. You know, your affections for God will cause an overflow in how you love one another. You know, and I, that's a challenge for me sometimes in my relationships. Sometimes I hit a relationship in my life and go, why, why can't I just love as I'm meant to love? Why do these feelings come up in me towards the person I'm in conflict with? What is that about? And I know that I'm running to the wrong thing. I know that I should be running back to my saviour who can give me the grace and to transform this heart that I might have affection for the right things in this life, whether that's how I use my money, whether that's how I conduct my relationships, whatever that is, God is enough to transform you. But what he wants in you is a heart that would turn to him, is a heart that would say, Lord, I, don't wa- I want to walk in the light. I want to be free. I want to be set free to be like Jesus. Come and work in me. Come and set in me a new heart. And then finally, strength. How do you worship the Lord in your strength? Now, when, I, when I first read this, I thought it's an interesting phrase, strength, isn't it? What does strength mean? Physical strength? You know, and two words came to mind when I thought about strength. Courage and effort. If any of you, I sometimes hit a treadmill, and they are hard work. If any of you, uh, do any of you do exercise on a treadmill or on a bike? It is hard work, isn't it? I get to about 10 minutes, and I'm like, I have had enough. But my wife can just keep going. You know, she goes for about 30 minutes, and I have no idea how she does it. But she just keeps putting in the effort because she knows the reward from the effort. She knows the reward. She knows that she's going to benefit from putting the effort in. And so courage and effort are the things I think, for me, is what makes us strong. You know, my walk with Jesus, I've had to apply both. And this is going to be something that will keep you walking in the light. You know, I think to be a Christian and to be in community, to walk out the ways of Jesus in any relationship that we have takes courage. Sometimes you just have to be brave, don't you? Because I think sometimes it's a brave thing to trust Jesus and say, I'm going to trust what you said is enough to transform me and to transform my situation. I'm going to trust you. That takes courage. You know, when, when I hit conflict, 
in any relationship in my life, that conflict becomes a wall, doesn't it? And sometimes it takes me courage to step away from that conflict and turn to Jesus and say, I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe that this wall is only something that has been put there by the enemy to discourage me, to distract me. When actually, I'm going to take courage to believe that you are bigger than my problem. You are bigger than that. You are the grace that I need to overcome this. But that takes courage. It takes courage to be the first one, doesn't it, to step forward in any situation, whether that's in a ministry, in a church, you know, God is saying, be strong. In church, be strong. In your area of ministry, be strong. But sometimes that strength is something that can only come from God alone, that he will give you that strength and effort. You know, sometimes, has anybody sometimes not wanted to be good? Sometimes is it just easier not to do the right thing? No, it's just me. Sometimes it's just hard, isn't it? Choosing God's ways sometimes is hard. You know, I have friends who have become Christians in this last few years in this church, and they say, since we've become Christians, it's just hard. But it is, isn't it? Because we are so entangled in the ways of the world, and God is going, let me untangle you. Let me untangle you. But this isn't something that happens passively. It doesn't just come in and fix it all. It takes effort. It's a partnership. And that's the joy of walking with Jesus. This is the partnership, that God is working in you today. And he's saying, let me untangle you. Let me untangle you. Because you have so much around you, around the way you think, the way you're behaving, that just restricts who you are. And you're not, you're not experiencing the full life of Christ that God would have for you. He says, let me do it. And you go, all right, you can go on, do it, do it. But he wants you to turn to him and say, Lord, do it. Untangle me. Set me free that I might know life and life in all its fullness. But that takes strength because sometimes you just have to say Lord I have nothing in and of myself to do this but I'm going to trust that you are all that I need for this situation there are areas in my life sometimes when I think God will I ever grow in this I don't know if you feel like that when you, you hit something in your life you think gosh for the last 20 years I've just not been able to get over this. It just keeps coming up time and time again. And the enemy would want to discourage you. He would want to strip you from courage. And my encouragement to you and scripture's encouragement to you is keep on keeping on. Keep on walking in the light, trusting that God will shape you, that God will mould you, that God will set you free. As you, that you set your affections on him, that he is more than enough for you. So in conclusion, God is, is wanting us to know him. He wants you to know his grace and his love for you here this morning. He wants you to be set free. He wants your mind to be set free by that fact. So to know as you're sat here, you are God's child and that nothing can strip you from that, that you are in his hands. And then he's wanting to draw you to the truth of God, his word, that is living and active and working in you, but not just in you, but through you to the community, to the relationships that you are in. But also he's wanting you to be a person of love. He wants you to be a person that knows his love and then makes his love 